Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, it's finale time, and we will be talking about the 13th episode of Riverdale Season 1, The Sweet Hereafter. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and I'm joined, as always, by the tremendous Kirsten McKinnis. Kirsten, how are you doing this evening? I am so excited that we have finished another season of Riverdale. We made it. We did it. It's so exciting. <laughs> Two down and at least two more to go, I guess. It's we'll like, see. but like season four is like whatever because it'll be weekly and it just doesn't feel like as big of a project. Whereas when you have like a full season already in the books that you start covering, it just feels like hopeless. To be fair, season one has been much better to go over because at least having seen these episodes before, it's a lot faster to take notes and watch them. I kind of know what to expect. Whereas I just know all of those season four episodes, if it's anything like season three, it's going to take me like two hours to watch each episode. Yeah. Well, that's a personal problem with you. Okay. Well, speaking of personal problems, I am... (laughs) So, wait, hold on. Am I a personal problem? (laughs) All right. Let me introduce you, and then you can defend yourself. Okay. So, we are also joined, as always, by my spectacular friend, Hannah Elam, who is not a personal problem, but I did personally get to see her this past weekend. (laughs) And that's a problem for me. It is. It is. Because, you know, Kirsten's just out of the loop, not not hanging out with the rest of us here in the States. Yeah, uh, I have no regrets on living so far away from all of my friends. But she did get to hang out with some Canadian geese. So, you know, pros and cons. Nope, that's all cons. <laughs> Which I have just discovered that Canadians also call them Canadian geese and not just geese like I assumed they would. There's many different kinds of geese. Name another type of geese. Just like normal geese. (laughs) Okay. But why can't Canadian geese be the normal ones? Well, like, here they are, but they are called, like, the name of the the breed is Canadian geese. Mm -hmm. So when you saw them, did you just say geese? Or do you specifically always associate that as Canadian geese? Like, do you point to your friend and say, hey, look, those are some Canadian geese? No, I look, point to my friend to go, look, the demons are here. (laughs) We've got to run away. All right. Fair enough. So Hannah, how do you feel about wrapping up another season of Riverdale? Well, Well, I guess this is your first full season. Yeah, this is my first full season. So I feel pretty accomplished. You know, it only took us 13 weeks to get here. So that's pretty Eh, great. I think it took longer than 13 weeks. (laughs) I think it took a lot longer. <laughs> I mean, it could have taken 13 months, and it didn't, so everyone should just be happy. You're right. It was definitely somewhat less than 13 months. Actually, who knows, because I haven't posted these yet. We've just been recording them in advance, so we'll see how long it takes. Anyway, so this episode, it ties together a lot of things, because the, the real solution of the mystery happened in episode 12. So this episode, you kind of enter it going, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen, and it's mostly just fallout, and then a little bit of setting the stage for what might come in season two. Yeah, I thought I felt like when I first watched this, I wasn't very pleased with the 13th episode. I feel like it would have been a lot better to just kind of end it with the 12th and then we figure out what we need to in, in season two. You know, I don't think that we needed this episode per se, but I guess if there was a question of whether or not there was gonna be a second season, then this is a nicer way to end the series. Yeah, it definitely feels like the end of some movies that are trilogies or something where they, they want to give you a little hint of what could come in the next season, which maybe that helps when writing shows to get the network to want to continue with it, have some people sticking along, whereas if the show was to kind of wrap up at, in episode 12, then maybe the audience isn't clamoring for a season two. I mean, were they clamoring anyways? Like, what was... I don't remember what the atmosphere was like at the time, but I feel like a lot of people who had started the season did not finish it from what I remember. 
remember. Well, I think that a lot of the hype from Riverdale occurred after it became available on Netflix in the United States because that's when I watched it. I feel like that's when a lot of people started actually watching it because not that many people will actively watch shows as they're happening. Whereas like you had access to them on Netflix while they were happening. But if you don't have that access, you may not be actually keeping up to date with the series. Yeah, I I don't know what the atmosphere was and I'd be curious to look at like right now with season three, what the numbers are doing on Netflix now that it's released there and if it's more than people who are watching it live as well. I mean, it's gotta be. Probably. I mean, I've started watching it again, so... Stop, you have not. Oh, with your sister. sister. Yeah, yeah. we finally made it to season three, so get My sister told me recently that she gave up on Riverdale because it got too crazy, and she um, did not watch season three, so yeah. Well, I don't think that she has any idea what crazy is then. That is what I said. I told her uh, about some stuff, and she was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we talk about season three, let's go ahead and talk about this episode. We start off with the Jughead voice over. Nice little coming back to this since we didn't have one at the beginning of last episode, but Jughead's talk... Okay, the reason I mostly wanted to write this one down is because it has something that I didn't realize the first time around was kind of a pun, but it totally is. We... It's right in the aftermath of the police finding Cliff Blossom hanging in his barn, and the Jughead voiceover says, it was the ultimate cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Clifford Blossom had killed himself, But why? Life's not an Agatha Christie novel. It's a lot messier. Turns out the maple syrup was a front for his true business, transporting heroin from Montreal on his trucks. All right, so let's just stop down right here real quick. So is the maple syrup industry at all lucrative? Is it like, were the Blossoms rich from that and then they supplemented it with these drugs? Or is it just primarily the drug thing? I just, okay. But also, Montreal is in an area that would be more well-known for the maple syrup industry also so i don't know why he's in two montreal industries well i don't i mean is he is he sending syrup to montreal as well that I got makes the no sense well that's how he would transfer the drugs right they were all in the barrels yeah i'm just okay i'm just trying to figure out here is the maple syrup thing a thing like is that really just a complete front or does he have two lucrative businesses i mean we know the coopers are drinking it by the bottle right so there's that and the then, whole town is yeah and the uh the veronica family what are their name? The Lodges. They're they're drinking it in fancy little dishes that they put back in their fridge, presumably. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just wanted to know, like, we had an episode back in whatever it was, episode eight or nine with the whole Blossom family stuff where the whole board comes. Do they know about the drugs? Is this something that only Clifford Blossom knows about? Because it doesn't seem like Penelope knows about it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. just a Clifford thing. But I feel like it can't just be Clifford. I feel like it would have to be the board as well, but just maybe not everyone on the board. Yeah, it's kind of confusing. Is there going to be a trial for these other people? Like, what's, we don't even really see... I guess that's kind of something that angers Betty in this episode is that we don't really see people really digging into what the drugs are at least not here i mean we they they just assume it's all from the serpents or the serpents are pushing the drugs so they want to know that but we don't hear them actually trying to find out more like interrogating penelope or interrogating cheryl about what they would know about this side of the business yeah the mayor and the 
the sheriff seem to be really just trying to concentrate on the people that they can blame, and they're trying to blame everything on the serpents, including Jason's death to some extent. It doesn't really seem to be public knowledge that Clifford was the one who killed Jason and the drug business and all that. I mean, seems like... The way they frame this episode is super weird because during the Jughead voiceover, you see Alice typing away as if she's telling this story and publishing it, but then later on when Betty wants to tell the story, she says no. So I'm not exactly sure what the public knows and what they just suspect. How much drugs do they think are in the south side of Riverdale? Like, Riverdale is not a giant city. If there was all of this heroin being sold in the south side, like, they would know because there would be, like, an opioid epidemic. Like, it it just, the whole thing doesn't make sense. Yeah, not really. Sounds like the story also of F- that FP told about kidnapping Jason, which we had debated last episode, like what was and was not true about that. Sounds like Mustang was really the one who did all that and FP was really only there during the cleanup portion. The dumping the body in the river and the putting the body in ice, it seems like, was all that really him and Joaquin were involved in and that the person who, and, and that FP was not actually trying to hold Jason hostage for, for Clifford. It seems like that was all part of Mustang. Mustang's plan. Yeah, blame it all on Mustang. The guy who's dead. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. Gotta have our our river daddies staying clean. (laughs) Also, it it begs one more question, just because this is the only other other time we've heard about Montreal. So, earlier in the season, when the kids were working for Fred Andrews on the construction team, some people from Montreal came down and beat up Moose and bashed the equipment, and Hermione and FP made it seem like uh, Hiram was the one who had probably hired those people because he had business in Montreal. Is it possible that this was actually Clifford? Is that what we're trying to get at? That Clifford was the one who hired these people? Which makes a little more sense. And that's what, you know, Fred had suspected at the time. Yeah, I think that that does make sense. And I think that the Montreal connection is kind of how Hiram and the Blossoms come together, which makes a lot more sense than all of the Riverdale stuff. Because again, the um, lodges haven't lived in Riverdale in a while or even really done that much business there so to have the connection through like the drug trade through Montreal makes a lot more sense. Yeah and it also makes more sense because I know at the time we had wondered why was Hiram trying to hire these people to mess with Fred's company when like just because of his relationship with Hermione or something like it it seemed a little bit off because it seemed like Hiram was working with Hermione to try and get this whole something on the south side built anyway exactly so seemed a little counterproductive yeah and so on that same note we have a little bit of a plot line here with some fallout with Hermione and Fred and the construction company so Fred's kind of stressed out about his town because it doesn't seem like it was the happy shiny place that he thought it was and to go along with that Hiram it sounds like is coming to live in Riverdale soon by the end of the month is what Hermione says and And everything needs to be perfect right and so she fires all the serpents who had been working for Fred and Fred's like yo we're partners you can't just do that unilaterally and she's like yeah um so I want to make you an offer and buy out the company from you and I was a little confused like is she buying out Andrew's construction or 
she's just buying out this one project that he's working on. I assume just the project. Yeah, I thought yeah. she was buying out his like 20% or whatever he had negotiated to be a part of the project, right? So that okay, he would that's... not be associated with this anymore. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So he's upset about this, obviously. I don't know why he doesn't just go and like hire back all the serpents, but whatever. And he kind of says like, all right, make me an offer and I'll decide it. And later on, Hermione asks Veronica basically to sexually manipulate Archie into convincing Fred to sell the construction project to her, which is just kind of a long shot. Like, do you really think Fred is going to listen to what Archie tells him about this? Like, what kind of reasoning would Archie come up with? Because it's not like Hermione said, oh, Veronica, here's a really good pitch and Fred's just not listening to me. So can you tell it to Archie? She's just like, yeah, somehow convince Archie. Yeah. And then Veronica straight up is like, wait, you want me to sexually manipulate him? And Hermione's like, as long as you're in control, which this is your 16 year old daughter, ma'am. Yeah. That's really not great that she does that. And um, Veronica calls her Lady Macbeth later. So she's just coming in with the topical references. Yeah, uh, Veronica has a ton of references in this episode. Like, even more than the rest of the series. Yeah, and most of them, we'll get to some of those. I have some of those written down. But most of them just go over whoever's head she's talking to. Some of them went over my head. Yeah, I had to Google a few. Actually, one of them went over my head that I can think of. But I don't remember what the reference was. I just remember watching and being like, what does that mean? So... So Fred ends up by the end of the episode telling Hermione that he is not going to take this offer and that they're just going to have to figure it out that Riverdale's coming to a crossroads and so are they. So we'll see what happens. Crossroads like the uh, Britney Spears movie? Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping there's less pregnant women pushed down the stairs well, than in the Britney Spears movie. Fred's definitely going to yeah. try here in this situation. He right, tries. He will. Yeah. Yeah, he, he'll try. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else. All right. So the other chunk of Fallout and leading into the next season season is we still got this whole FP being in prison issue that's happening here and uh, the Sheriff Keller thinks that the serpents like we said are selling the Blossoms heroin and he wants names in return for a lesser sentence for FP. FP's like okay first off we only sell weed which I love (laughs) I mean I get that weed is like way less of a problematic drug but I always think it's really funny when FP or the other serpents are just like casually telling law enforcement like we're not real like we're only breaking the law a little like it's fine <laughs> like you're still admitting to breaking a law but okay i can't believe they don't understand that uh dealing weed is the gateway to dealing <laughs> harder stuff yeah yeah but i i just think it's kind of funny that riverdale was like okay we have to make this gang like kind of bad but like not that bad so they'll just sell weed it'll be fine yeah it's like a, a, a light gang not uh not a serious gang right yeah so i thought that was pretty funny but fp says he's no snitch she won't give up any names serpents have each other back etc. This is really another part of this episode is kind of like the transition from Serpents being this kind of obscure gang that we only see FP involved with when he's trashing the drive-in or when they go to the White Worm briefly. And they're transitioning kind of from that image to like, oh, we've got each other's backs. We're protecting each other kind of a gang. I mean, I think they probably always had that, but we just didn't see it. Yeah, we're uh, we're getting that. So Keller is saying that FP is probably looking at around 20 years in a federal penitentiary. Now, I don't know 
where that number is coming from. I haven't done a lot of research into what kind of sentences you would get for this type of crime. But I mean, FP basically just lied about the murder because he knew all along that Clifford did it. Yeah, so he would have gotten in with like aiding and abetting, right? Because he hid the crime. And then probably a bunch of other stuff as well. The lying about it would be obstruction of justice. So I feel like it's like a bunch of smaller charges kind of piling on top of each other rather than like one thing that would give him 20 years. If he gets a 20 year sentence, he would only serve half time anyways. And then if he had good behavior, like he'd probably be out of prison in like seven years anyways. Yeah, it's interesting though, because it kind of just seems like, well, okay. So I was just watching National Treasure the other day and there's that whole plot line there. Where Wait, like, yeah, why? Because I love that movie. Anyway, they were talking about like, oh, somebody needs to go to jail. Like I, I, I can understand why you guys did these things. And yeah, you found the treasure. Good for you. But like someone still needs to go to jail. And they, and they just kept saying that over and over. And it's kind of like in this situation, it's like, okay, if Clifford was still alive, probably FP wouldn't have had as much of a sentence. But because he's Clifford is dead, someone still needs to go to jail for this crime. No, I think it's more so that FP is from like a lower socioeconomic background. He was always going to get more of this. Like if Clifford had still been alive, I feel like there's a good chance that even getting convicted for the murder, he would have served less time than FP. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that element as well. But I just wonder, I mean, we'll never know. Like he would have had a a better lawyer, right? Like he would have gotten to like... No, that's definitely true. And that's definitely a huge part of Betty's anger at this situation is how unfairly FP is being treated in all this. Uh, Yeah, it's it's not great. Part of it's also that I feel like, at least when I watch this, in my head, it's like, oh, FP just found out about Clifford being the criminal along with the rest of us. But really, FP has known this the whole time. And I'm sure that he was scared and maybe he was blackmailed. But it doesn't seem like he was blackmailed until he was already caught. Yeah, and no, that's when I he feel like he definitely was already blackmailed, but that it was like Clifford went to him when he was arrested to like remind him of it and be like, now you're helpless because you're locked up and we will. I guess, but I just feel like, okay, at any point in this, FP could have gone to the sheriff and showed him the video or just like mailed it to him or whatever. And Clifford would have been arrested and everything would have been fine. Yeah, but there's still evidence that FP did the cleanup, right? Like that was still in the video. I guess he could theoretically get rid of that. But then if Clifford is there to go to Sheriff Keller and say, hey, FP also had a hand in this by cleaning it up. Yeah. You know, he would drag he would drag down the other people because he is so rich and powerful, like we said, with the discrepancies between their uh, economic states. Yeah, I guess that's true. So we've also got some issues with Jughead happening in this episode. A social worker comes and says that Jughead needs to move back to the south side and that a foster family will take care of him. Randomly, we've got this little bit of information. They had to come up with a reason why he couldn't just stay with Fred and Fred's like, oh yeah, um, I had a DUI a while back after your mom left, which if we remember was two years ago. So sometime in the last two years, Fred has had a DUI that Archie, I guess, didn't know about, which maybe is reasonable. Feel like feel like they would have found out somehow. Normally after you get a DUI, like a condition of getting your license back is that you have to get a breathalyzer in your car and there's no way that he could have hidden that from Archie. So I don't I think understand. after you've had a couple of DUIs. I feel like this is just something with the show forgetting their own timeline. And because like we had mentioned a few episodes ago where Archie was talking about how it was a little Archie's dream of his parents getting back together. It seems like it seems like his parents, the, the show treats it like his parents broke up years and years ago but they also mentioned that she moved out two years ago so 
Anyway, so Jughead will have to go to a different school district by the end of the week. This is a big point of contention in the fandom of like, wasn't Jughead already living on the south side? Because he lived with his dad or like presumably his father's trailer in Sunnyside Trailer Park is on that south side. And given everything that we know about that, like is the district for Riverdale High like partially on the south side? Is he moving now and farther into the south side? Well, I guess it's kind of hard to know because did the school know about Jughead? where Jughead was actually staying at all because initially he was staying at the school, right? So it's like there's some... But like in records, he would have lived in the trailer. Right, and he wasn't... He only stayed at the school for a little while. It seemed like before that he was staying at the drive-in, oh, right. which is also on the south side. So I think this is more of like either the school didn't really have him district correctly anyway and they're just correcting that problem now or the trailer park is partially split up into the north side and south side in terms of districts. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some things that are not helpful as far as continuity or uh, having everything completely wrapped up nice. So there's some things that we just have to accept and move on. But it definitely is frustrating that they don't consider these extraneous details sometimes. Yeah. So Archie goes and talks to FP and is like, hey, FP, things aren't looking great here for Jughead. So like, if you want to make any deals, that'd be great. And FP's like, yeah, I'm not going to betray the serpents, Red, but it's okay. But FP does tell Archie that like, hey, you and Betty, you need to look after Jughead because there's a darkness within him. This is like all these kids apparently have a darkness within them, except for except for Archie. I don't think Archie has a darkness within him. Does Veronica? No. Well, I don't know. I mean, like she wears a lot of black. I guess she just has darkness in her she, family. I mean, she made someone drink sewer water. Yeah, you're right. That's. I think that's a darkness. It wasn't sewer water. It was gutter water. Yeah, I know. Okay, I don't know why I couldn't difference. think of the word gutter. Is it? Aren't those similar things though? The sewers are like fully underground and the gutter is like next to the curb. Oh. Yeah, the gutter is just like the little spot you jump over. The gutter is where the stuff goes before it goes into the sewers and becomes like truly disgusting. There's a big difference. Have you ever watched uh, Now and Then? Have I mentioned this before in the podcast? I have seen Now and Then. You have? Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm sure we've mentioned this because I'm sure that I was also surprised that you had seen it. Anyway, there's a scene there where someone gets stuck in the gutter that's going down to the sewer, like in the grate. It's like a really big gap. I'm not sure how they went down there, but they're trying to find something and they almost drown because there's like a flood happening. Anyway, she probably drank some gutter water. Yeah, but it's, I think it's different when you're not forced into it. You know what else has to do with sewers? And then I was going to talk about it, but you know, completely different Oh no, movies. please no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's that's very different than Now and Then. Now and Then, the uh, female version of um, Stand By Me. Yeah, I have seen Now and Then, but I don't think we- you've mentioned it before. Oh, it's like my favorite childhood movie. Me and my sister, my cousin, used to always watch it when we'd get together. Anyway, good times. Good times. Anyway, Betty and Jughead chat, and he's like, look, I'm not wanted on the north side. I don't belong here. And she <laughs> says he's that he does. Yeah, because he's weird. You ever see me without this hat on? That's weird. I'm just not wired that way. <laughs> I'm just not wired to be normal. So Jughead decides he's just going to go to Southside High. I guess he like goes over there a day early or something because they're like, why are you going already? And there's metal detectors and all the kids are And he's calling grungy. on a payphone. It looks like, like it, this looks scarier than the prison FP is in. I guess, but it's, yeah, it, I guess it is. It's just like so a school that they're trying to make look like the tough school. I don't know. It's fine, I guess. Uh, the Jughead's hanging out there and he's trying to, 
the like I don't know he's sitting down at lunch and, and it looks like these kids are gonna come up and start like picking on him and then there's like a huge montage where like Betty and Archie and Veronica are running down the hall in slow motion they're like we gotta go get Jughead from Southside High the danger zone and then they get there and Jughead's like laughing with all the friends in the cafeteria so do we think that these are serpents or just people who are willing to accept another weirdo because I don't think they had jackets on I don't think on. they were wearing jackets yeah I think these were just kids and I, I guess whatever Jughead said that was super funny when they showed up I, I don't I don't know maybe he made a joke the guy like came and stole a french fry or something yeah. so crime it's unacceptable <laughs> yeah it's crazy i thought this was super out of character just based on how he is at you know riverdale high school but i guess it's just really truly showing that he, he doesn't belong there yeah like i guess jughead could be totally popular if he was just at a different school with more kids who wear jeans and flannel <laughs> no with kids know. who are wired differently that are weird i didn't see another beanie though so i think that's still just him not sure so Jughead then talks with FP later in jail and he says that, you know, his foster family's super nice and Southside High is fine. It's just a school. And FP tells Jughead that if he doesn't get out for a while, that Jughead needs to be there for his mom and Jellybean, who eventually will need his help or something. Yeah, I, sure. I didn't get that because it's like literally we have not seen his mom or Jellybean all season. The And the only thing we've really heard from them is when they literally were like, Jughead, don't come. Yeah, I guess it's more probably like FP's long-term plan of still wanting to get his family back together and assuming that maybe Jughead will be able to help with that, do that for him in some capacity. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it also had to do with just being there for them during the trials. Like, I don't know if they would need to come there for that at, for any reason. You would think potentially. I mean, I'm not really sure. I, I, I was also a little confused of why. <sighs> Look, I don't understand how the foster care works, but Jughead is a kid. He's not an adult yet. I'm kind of surprised they didn't like require his mom to come get him or send him to his mom they were just like oh your mom's like out of town so I, I guess they didn't it didn't seem like they tried at all to find her well they aren't Andrew's men so <laughs> <laughs> no no I guess they're not but anyway. I think I think this is also just supposed to be a moment for FP to kind of hand off the head of the house role to to Jughead and I think overall this moment is a very sweet moment that the two of them share and you can tell that they even though they've had their struggles the two of them really care about each other yeah, we, we've had a transition throughout the season of FP being both an alcoholic and kind of just a deadbeat dad, not really around, to bonding with Jughead and being glad that he's got Betty in his life and wanting to get a job and get the family back together. And so I, I really do think that like some of that was genuine and it wasn't just in order to escape this crime. I think that FP does admit that he's done some bad things in his life and he doesn't want that to be the case any longer. So... Hopefully, we'll see more of this budding relationship in season two. Speaking of relationships, boy, this episode had a bunch of relationship stuff in it, starting with possibly what you were talking about earlier when Veronica wants to come clean about hers and Archie's makeout session, or as she calls it, a patido, pa 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 patido, maybe? I... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's pa, French. Yeah, pas de deux. Pas de deux. Pas de deux. Yeah, de 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 like de. Sure. Which is basically a dance for two between a man and a woman. Uh, not sure if that's like a euphemism or if it's literally just a dancing for two. I could not tell you. But anyway, and Archie's just like, huh? And it's like, yeah, Veronica, why are you trying to speak French to Archie? He doesn't understand this. Just just say we need to come clean about our makeout sesh. I think he would get that part. Veronica tells Betty about her and Archie. She does it in 
such a weird dramatic way though they're all sitting there at lunch including Kevin and Jughead and Veronica stands up and she's like so Betty I need to tell you something me and Archie and then she doesn't even finish the sentence Archie's just like yeah we've kissed a couple times like that not only was this weird and in front of everyone but also it's super weird that she said that in front of Jughead because it's kind of like hey Betty yeah I know you're dating that guy but like I know you're still hung up on Archie so let's address this in front of everyone like kind of undermines Jughead in a way yeah it was just like the whole thing was weird like that's just not how you have a conversation it also just puts Betty in a really weird spot because it's like she says she's happy for them but then both Archie and Veronica later on have to verify that is she actually okay but it's also like yeah she's not gonna say she's not okay her boyfriend is sitting right next to her it's like yeah she's like yeah chill I'm with Jughead now and then there's this great shot of Jughead like eating a hamburger with his mouth full and he kind of just smiles at that it's like oh yeah you gotta keep her so that was funny but yeah Archie checks in with Betty almost immediately after that and he's like oh well a small part of me always thought and he's like kind of getting at like oh I'd always thought I'd be with you which I'm I'm actually surprised with how much of this there was in this episode I completely forgot that season one did kind of hint at this whole like comic book love triangle thing for a long time all throughout season one and like props to them honestly for doing this because I know that you don't you Kirsten have said that you didn't want them to like stick with this back and forth but it is a huge part of the comic books and them just coupling up instantly they they really cut out like what's <laughs> the major purpose of the Archie comics well yeah they had to because they wanted it to be about murder and drugs and sexiness I feel like they threw in a few cheap moments that kind of allude to the love triangle but I don't think they really like did a good job of making it a thing yeah there's nothing actually said and there's nothing more than looks that are exchanged so it's, you have to really make those connections I mean I think it's easy to draw those connections but I, I agree that it's kind of cheap yeah I just I feel like especially with the whole first episode being about Betty being sad about Archie not wanting her like this seems like a thing they could have gone back to at least once or twice in the first season and they just didn't do it oh well I mean I'm not I'm not mad about it it's just it's just interesting to think about the alternate universe Riverdale <laughs> Betty's like yeah we're so lucky don't you think to have found the people we're meant to be with and that we're all friends okay like I get it you're in your first high school relationship but meant to be with like you don't know that you don't know that you're with the people you meant to be with it seems like a lot of the parents though are with their high school sweethearts so it's definitely something that in this town seems the norm yeah. like you you date one person in high school and that's who you stay with I don't know I feel like that's like very small town culture as well as like when you're a teenager and everything feels like a thousand times more powerful than it really is and you're like oh my god this is my person this is my soulmate oh my god when it's like literally in 10 years you will not remember that person existed yeah definitely so Veronica then chats with Betty like you said Hannah they both have to have this conversation twice for some reason this episode has time for this Betty says like yeah look I'm I'm cool with you and Archie it's fine and it's a little weird that Veronica mentions the Bechtel test here that's one of the few times the show really does step back and be like we're a show and we're characters who recognize we're on a show right now yeah she's like at the risk of failing the Bechtel test let's talk about Archie and it's like this is how that conversation should 
have been the entire time as a one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe let's not have that whole scene in the cafeteria. <laughs> so this was the one reference Veronica mentioned swearing on the September issue. And that was one that I didn't really understand. Was it? Is that like a... Oh my God. The September issue of Vogue is like the biggest fashion magazine that exists. It's when all the new fall fashions come out. And it's like for people who care about fashion, it's like the Bible. Why okay. do people only care about fall fashion? It's, it's just that's the biggest edition. Like that's where everything for the next year comes out. Oh, like okay. it's, it's just like the largest, like normally a Vogue is like a very thick magazine anyways, but the September Vogue is like a giant like book. It's, oh my God, it's incredible. It's the only one I buy all year. <laughs> like I understood that it was referencing a magazine. For whatever reason, my mind was like, oh, is this going to be like 17 magazine or Cosmo or something? <laughs> is there something to do with September issue? I don't know. I it's no also idea. like the September issue of everything is always like a bigger gotcha. deal because it's like all the back to school stuff too. It's yeah. like you can often convince people to buy stuff in September that they wouldn't buy at other times. Well, Betty responds with saying that she also swears on Forever by Judy Bloom, which is a reference I did know. Have either of you ever read Forever? I've never read any Judy Bloom books. Oh, I've read several. I did look it up and learned that it was about uh, teenage sexuality, but I had never read it. Okay, so quick story about Forever. <laughs> Forever was a book that my mom had read and I guess really liked growing up because Judy Bloom is timeless. And she had told me for years and years and years, starting when I was in like, I don't know, ninth grade, like, oh, you've got to read Forever. You got to read Forever. It's like a rite of passage for a teenage girl, basically, that you need to read this book. And for years, I was kind of like, yeah, mom, it's fine. We've got Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants now. I don't need to read Forever. And I never did until I was in college when my mom finally sent me her copy of Forever and I read it and it was like, I don't know, maybe my junior or senior year of college like way later and it's like it's not a 40 page book but like I read it in two hours like it's really really short the book and like wow I, I don't know why I put this off I could have read this a long time ago but yeah it's it's all about like first loves and high school sweethearts and like losing your virginity and things like that but it's it's so funny because I immediately told my sister like hey you should read this <laughs> because it'll, it'll it'll be good for you it is it is kind of this like rite of passage so if anyone else has a similar experience with forever like i think it was a little bit i don't know it's 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 very progressive for its time actually i think and so i think that it's it's probably it's probably worth reading just to look at like is that the one where they're praying for boobs that's the only thing i know about any judy bloom novel and i don't know which one it's from i don't know that seems like a thing that could be in lots of judy bloom novels the other one i read was blubber which is something that like is the first time i think i saw the f word or something like that so oh my goodness judy bloom a, a wide world of knowledge there. Anyway, so then Veronica has a chat with Jughead because I don't think we've ever seen the two of them talk together, ever. And there was some reason that both Archie and Betty were not going to be at lunch that day. Yeah, Betty is like hanging out with Polly and I'm not sure where Archie is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recall. Yeah, they're talking and then and she's like, oh, look, we've got something in common. And Jughead's like, what, our dads were both in jail? She's like, okay, well, that too. But no, I was going to say because we're dating each other's best friends which is kind of a weird construct but i don't know did, did either of you guys ever have a friend who was dating your best friend and you were dating their best friend yeah that is a little bit a little bit of a weird scenario there um i can 
confidently say no, but that was mostly because I was a really big loser in high school. I didn't really date anyone. Yeah, unfortunately, same. <laughs> it was like, can't really have that if you're not dating anybody. Yeah, I don't really think that was a thing. I guess that's more of a thing maybe if, you, if you're like the kind of person who goes on a lot of double dates, like maybe that would happen. Hmm. Not or sure. it, it just depends like if you're hanging out with the same people all the time sometimes if you spend enough time with other people you could start to develop feelings for them so I guess it could happen if you have a, a group of four people yeah I guess uh, anyway so Veronica and Archie later on look longingly at Jughead and Betty and I remember in the time thinking this was like a weird moment and I didn't remember that it came up again later but later on Veronica asks Archie why he was looking longingly at Betty even though I swear in the original scene it looked Looks like Veronica is the one who's looking longingly at them. I don't remember anyone looking longingly at anybody in this there, episode. It's, it's when they go and they're rescuing Jughead from the Southside High for whatever reason. And then I guess they just ditch school for the rest of the day. It's kind of confusing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was looking longingly at Betty because I love her, but like a friend. And I want that kind of relationship that, you know, they have. I want it with you. And so it's like, okay, that drama is over now, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. So, and uh, because of all of this uh, relationship drama, at the end of the episode, we get the classic CW double makeout sesh montage. Nothing like a double makeout sesh. Thing is, is like, I feel like the Betty Jughead makeout seemed very, very believable, but the Veronica Archie makeout, I was like, I don't buy this. Okay, well, there's two notable differences, I would say. Number one, first off, let's just announce that Believer is playing, so you know it's gonna be intense. <laughs> there was like a year there where that song was in every trailer and every movie. I think the difference is that Betty and Jughead first off, both tell each other they love each other. And then this is like a passionate makeout in response to that revelation. Whereas Archie and Veronica are just like sneaking into her room at night when her mom is asleep being like, haha, let's have this clandestine meetup. And the difference is that Betty and Jughead are just complete like throwing each other against the walls. It's passionate. And then Archie and Veronica, they have to keep like because we haven't established them as a couple really they have to keep speaking during it and so Veronica keeps like saying all these little things like we've had this date destined since the beginning Archiekins it's like hey guys maybe we don't need to talk during this also don't add kins to people's names like when you're having a makeout session especially yeah so lots of abs lots of taking shirts off you get some tasteful bra shots one thing that I think is interesting that I was just now thinking of is that Veronica is shortened to Ronnie, which also sounds like a man's name. And so I think there's sometimes where it's like he's their nicknames, Archie and Veronica's nicknames for each other are Archie Kins and Ronnie. And I don't know, it just does not seem like a very good nickname for a female. I don't like either of the nicknames, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, they're both pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's better than adding the Ekins on the end to something, which I think is a thing that Cheryl also does. It could be wrong, but it seems like she does that I as feel well. like it just seems like something she would do. Yeah, that's possible. There's that. And then there's a knock at the door of the trailer, which interrupts Betty and Jughead. And they think it's Alice, which is kind of funny. Who else would it be? <laughs> yeah. I really would have loved the alternate universe where it is Alice, just to see what happens And she there. just bursts in like, what are you doing with my daughter? 
It's about the kids. It's about the kids. It is about the kids. No, she just bursts into the jail and she's like, FP, it's about the kids. But no, it's the serpents specifically. Actually, I don't think we know this serpent's name yet. Maybe not. Well, we know the dog's name is Hot Dog. (laughs) Wait, do we? Yeah, they said Hot Dog, calm down, he's family. Oh, okay, right. So there's a dog and then there's some serpents. One of them, the guy in the front, gives Jughead a serpent jacket and he's like, hey, we heard that FP wasn't going to name names, so we're going to protect you now, kid. And then it's it's raining outside and there's a slow motion shot. The music picks back up and Betty's like, Jughead, what's going on? And she opens or she like peeks around the door and he's like putting the jacket on. He's like, I'm going to the dark side. So yeah, that's exactly what he says. <laughs> I, I think that's a direct quote is I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to the dark side. <laughs> they have cookies. <laughs> Stop. Cole Sprouse looks great in a leather jacket, which is funny because I remember reading an article or watching a video or something where somebody was asking uh, Skeet Ulrich, who plays F.E., who wears the serpent jacket well. And he was like, yeah, not to be mean, but like Cole doesn't know how to wear the jacket. It's wearing him. He needs to learn how to wear it. I I would, you know what, I could buy that, that, like, Cole doesn't have, like, the attitude to carry it, but, like, the minute he has that, like, it's game over for everyone. Yeah, I think it helped that his hat was off in this scene. He's got the, like, floppy hair. Yeah, his hair is very, like, must from the makeout sesh. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I forgot about that. Wait, did that come off during the makeout session, or did it just, like, disappear? I think he took it off right at the beginning when he said he loved her. I'm pretty sure. He tore it off his head and said, I love you, Betty Cooper. Yeah, it was. Because he wasn't being weird anymore. Also, to go back to that moment like he says i love you and then she says jughead jones i love you and it just sounds weird like well say like say the name after like i love you jughead jones you don't need to say like also why are you saying full names here you know what sometimes in a you're serious you're the only two moment, people in the room yeah i'd rather full names to nicknames yeah oh, oh juggy i love you i mean that just yeah, sounds terrible i don't know it's all weird and i would like you to never say that again thank you <laughs> Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Look, the first time that someone told me they loved me, it was very like, I didn't know what happened at first. I feel like they sort of like, (laughs) sort of like whispered it at me as they were like walking into their house, shutting their door. And I was like, wait a second, did that just happen? I don't know. Maybe it didn't. And then I called them later and I was like, hey, did you say that? They were like, yeah. So they took the cheap way out. Yeah, maybe they should have just stood in front of me and said, Mary Kwiatkowski, I love you. (laughs) I feel like Kwiatkowski is quite a mouthful there. You might have to go with the nicknames. Mary Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Just Mary Quit. Uh, Marykins. Oh, Oh, Marykins. I love you. Wait, what about Um, Ma? Ma. Oh, Ma. That has implications that I don't love. Right, let's move on. So that's really the end of the relationship segment. Let's let's talk about Cheryl because she's got her own issues this episode. First off, this is like Penelope has just gone full jerk this episode. She's just a horrible person the whole time. They come back from the funeral, presumably. They're both wearing black from Clifford's funeral. And Penelope is just being a jerk. She's like, oh, we've been cursed since brother killed brother. Wonder who will go next. Maybe it'll be you, Cheryl maybe it'll be me and then she kind of alludes to like oh Clifford had the right idea just to end it all he welcomed the sweet hereafter as a which is better than being in the limbo of living that they're in right now 
so she's just kind of sulky and depressed and like for good reason. I mean, her husband killed her son, but she's just like no reason to take this out on Cheryl. Cheryl didn't do anything. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like I can't even possibly imagine the level of grief to find out that your husband killed your son and then for your husband to kill himself before you even get to process it. Like she's going through a lot. She is, but, like, Cheryl stayed behind in her own house to protect her mother from her father in the previous episode. And she's not even... Yeah, like, we've we've been knew that Penelope sucks. Yeah. I think for me, a lot of times, when I am not feeling, like, my best, I take it out on people that are closest to me because it's easiest. So I think it's definitely understandable that Penelope is acting this way, especially given what we've seen from her before. And now she literally has no one else to take it out on other than Cheryl. So it does definitely, it's unfortunate that Cheryl gets the brunt of Penelope's force now, though. Yeah, it's not great. And you can tell that Cheryl's having a really rough time. She resigns as cheerleading captain, gives Veronica the HBIC shirt. But shouldn't this already have happened when they had the dance-off? But I guess Cheryl was still holding on. She thought she would win her team back. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Veronica doesn't have time to be, like, in charge of a cheerleading <laughs> Yeah, she was squad. late to practice. <laughs> yeah. Like- She's, she's, she's never charge there. Now? She's never wearing the outfit around school. It's, I don't know. Anyway, and Cheryl's like, oh, it's fine. I'm finished cr- doing my crying for the Blossom men. So I guess she she seemed to be kind of out of it. And Veronica will later say that she seemed like it, like it was really eerie what was happening there. Then Cheryl gives Jughead her iconic spider brooch and tells him to pawn it off to buy S shirts and burgers. And I think this is the first time we have the show reference the S shirts. And I know that Jughead is not been wearing them the whole time, but he's started wearing them recently, which are just these t-shirts with an S on it. Which is a nod to the comics. Yeah, it's from the comics. And she kind of gets cut off. She's talking about, she's saying like they ask why she's doing this and she starts to speak, but the gang gets distracted and has to run off to do something or other. And she's just kind of left standing there. And then we see her ask to stay home from school because it's really hard pretending everything's okay. Penelope's a jerk and is just like, I don't care. Like, go to school. Yeah, her response is of course not and it's like what she's also weirdly satisfied with her being mean to cheryl yeah she just really she's just a horrible person and so things are clearly deteriorating and that's around the time that cheryl will send a text veronica saying thanks for helping but i'm gonna go be with jason now and they find her on the frozen sweetwater river where she is now dressed back again in that white dress that she had worn in episode one when she was rowing jason across the river on july 4th yes and it's the same dress that she was wearing when she when they had Jason's memorial service and she's clearly distraught but it's it's interesting it's now I guess halfway through the year or so because there's snow everywhere so I guess this is I don't know what time of year in Canada in Vancouver it snows which is where it's filmed it does, like it does not really snow in Vancouver okay well how did they film this fake snow like I think a lot of that was probably added in in post Vancouver they do maybe get like one or two snowfalls in a year but it is not a thing like they get like half an inch of snow and the whole city shuts down but they also were like running through inches deep of it as they were going out to the river which also made it really funny to watch them try and run out to the river yeah it looked like a lot of snow you know six to twelve inches of snow yeah so cheryl is uh, on the river she turns around and sees them and she kind of smiles when she sees them coming after her Uh, but that's when she falls under the water because she had been i guess 
punching at the water maybe or trying to trying to break the ice to get into the water which is kind of interesting that she chooses this way to go be with Jason because Jason didn't actually drown this is just where his body was washed up it's also like that was the last place she saw him alive yeah right so it's like there's multiple layers but that's just I could never imagine what it would be like to actually drown like if I drink water and it goes down the wrong way I feel like I'm dying like that's so scary yeah she's she's very clearly distraught here and so she falls underwater and Archie starts punching the ice his hand is bleeding I'm pretty sure this is actually I read that this was something real that happened with KJ Appa that he was supposed to sort of mime punching it but he went a little ham and uh actually did he break tried his wrist or something. a little too hard <laughs> yeah he did and Cheryl is under the water and she sort of hallucinates and sees the dead body Jason under the water with the bullet hole in his head and he's reaching out for her and she freaks out and screams and that's when she really starts to drown but right about then is when Archie pulls her out and gives her mouth to mouth and she comes to so kind of curious like why don't the others help him try to break the ice there they're just kind of letting him punch it and they're just standing there I think there they shock. were also worried about like if they all ran out to one spot that the ice would just like fully crack and they would all fall in yeah maybe I feel like they could have stomped the ice or something might have helped I don't know if punching Look, it was really the best way to go Archie hasn't done anything else this season they had to give him this one thing breaking the ice and you know he he did it so just let him punch stuff okay yeah he did more than try so Veronica takes Cheryl back to the Pembroke to warm up because yeah the last couple episodes we've had sort of a weird Veronica Cheryl bonding thing happening well it's kind of started in episode two I think it was episode two when she goes to Cheryl after the pepper rally I think there's always been some sort of like small bond between Cheryl and Veronica there there has been but it's like okay Veronica if you're gonna have these moments with Cheryl why are you also trying to like steal the vixens from her for no reason I just I think that Veronica is a reformed mean girl but like she still has her moments yeah and for whatever reason Hermione comes home and is like super nasty to Cheryl she's like what's she doing here why does she hate Cheryl all of a sudden like I know she doesn't like the Blossom family but like don't take it out on a kid yeah I'm assuming that that's it it's just an extension of her hatred of the Blossom family I think we've learned that Riverdale families have a hard time separating parents from the kids right with Ethel and you know Hermione and and all of the lodges uh oh gosh what's the word it's like reputation reputation (laughs) really hard that should not have been that hard talking about yeah (laughs) sorry with Veronica and the lodges reputation like we see that everyone seems to really hold a grudge in this town yeah at the end of the episode Cheryl decides to burn down her house so but you know what I was all for but I have a big question at the end of the episode we see Cheryl and Penelope standing outside the burning building with like just like an attractive amount of sun on their face or whatever where's Nana Rose she lives Um, in a different house doesn't she yeah let's let's assume that she's not there That may be a plot hole that we'll just have to dig into in season two. Or she's burning alive upstairs. We're not sure. There was also only one part of the house that was really on fire. Like it wasn't like the whole thing was really a flame. Yeah, but it seemed like they were really letting it spread. It does seem salvageable. I think it's more important that like a lot of their stuff, I guess, was burning. I'm not really sure. Cheryl's just kind of smiling at the house and Penelope's like punching her back. It's kind of weird. And something that I thought was jaunting was Cheryl said this is their way of purging. Yeah. 
or sorry, guess, the way that they could be purified. Yeah, I think it's like getting rid of the curse that her mom referenced earlier because the ah, Blossom family keeps idea. killing each other. So I'm okay with it. I, I kind of, like, I, I think Cheryl's really lost it at this point and whatever. I mean, she looks really amazing in that white dress, though. So it's like got like a high neck and long sleeves, but it's like really short. It looks it looks great, though. She, she pulls off. Looks great. Pulls off that Yeah, look. she made a switch from the black to the white wardrobe. Yes. Um, it's also just a really chilling look of Penelope walking into the house and seeing uh, Cheryl standing with her back to her in front of the fireplace holding a candelabra and then throws it on the ground. It's a wonderful image. Yeah, the I feel like that's not the most effective way to light a house on fire, but the aesthetics work. Well, she did not, but yeah. douse it in she gasoline did. first. <laughs> right. I don't know how much she doused in gasoline, if it was like just the carpet in that room or whatever, but uh, seemed to at least create some flame. I don't love that she seemed to like corner herself, like at least yeah. move toward the doorway so you can escape, but I guess she got out fine. All right. And now for the other major plot point in this episode, which really leads into presumably season two stuff, Betty and the Jubilee and things like that. So Betty is upset because her family is pretending that everything's okay. Okay, they're pretending to be perfect, and Polly's back home, her dad's back home, her mom is back to work at the register, and she's back to digging her fingernails into her palms again. Earlier in the episode, we hear Fred ask Archie, like, how Archie's doing, and he says that Jughead obviously is still going through some things because of all this with his father in jail, and he also says that for Veronica and Betty, they're still very much a part of this. And I wasn't really sure what he was referring to, especially when Veronica is concerned, I guess because they still don't know how much Hiram may or may not have been involved in all of this. But for Betty, it's it's a little bit looser of a connection. But I guess because her family was technically Blossoms, there may be some lasting repercussions from all this. I don't know. It's just so weird. I just, like, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I, I think Betty, throughout this season, talk about how people have changed and Jughead's really gone on a turn from, you know, disliking his dad, distrusting the serpents not really being a part of that to the end of the season putting the jacket on archie goes from oh my gosh like dating his teacher to i guess saving cheryl so there maybe was some growth there veronica it's a little bit harder to see like she came to school she wanted to be a good person and by the end of it kind of helps cheryl so i guess she's a good person though she also reverted back to still making out with archie so i don't really know if her arc was as big but betty's arc you know this season really does seem to be a lot more about jughead and betty transition and and Betty's arc has to do with being this perfect girl next door a part of the perfect family discovering that her family is not as perfect as everyone should you know would want to believe and then by the end of the season her family is pretending to be perfect again and she's a changed person and can't really look at it the same way yeah she's like a stranger now yeah, she wants her family to deal with their ish or else they will implode again because they barely survived the first time. And then we see uh, the mayor asking Archie to sing with Josie and the Pussycats and then Betty to also give a speech. But Betty kind of has this frustration of wanting to the town to acknowledge the truth and it kind of seems to stem from her family not even acknowledging the truth. Yeah, there are definitely related factors there. Like, I wonder if she would care as much about the town if her family was at least acting, you know, dealing with their problems and admitting their lies and not trying to pretend like they're so perfect all the time. It's it's 
really annoying when the mayor says that, you know, Archie and Betty are the heroes here and that they were working with Sheriff Keller and her office, which is not true on multiple counts, especially in the fact that Archie did absolutely nothing to solve this murder. The only thing he did was break and enter into FP's trailer and then notice that there happened to not have been a gun, which like the gun could have been there at that search, but Archie didn't notice it. Like it could have been planted another time. I mean, he wore the jacket when Betty was trying to find the the USB drive that was inside it. Yes, he did the job that any chair could have done. Yeah, typical. The mayor doesn't want Jughead to speak during the Jubilee because his dad's in jail and Betty thinks that's very unfair, especially because Jughead solved, you know, 80% of this murder. The mayor says that, you know, Archie and Betty are the kind of heroes that Riverdale needs right now, which definitely implies like, oh, you two, it's not just that we need heroes, we need the right kind of heroes and you guys fit that pearly image it's very uh it's very scrimger and harry potter yeah i don't i don't like it just like i did not like scrimger yeah jughead's like oh look it's fine i don't mind not speaking i want to stay out of the limelight but betty doesn't handle it or betty doesn't agree with that she thinks that it's not fair that clifford blossom hasn't even been mentioned publicly like we talked about earlier and that everything bad is just being pinned on the serpents and she really wants to write an article for the register that's about it all and jughead's like oh i don't want you to write about my dad though and she's like no jughead it's gotta be about your dad obviously because she feels like not only is he more innocent than they're framing him to be but they're really just using him as a scapegoat to pin all of the problems of the town on the south side yeah and it's just like maybe listen to jughead though like if he's not comfortable with what you're planning to write like maybe just consider doing something else Yeah, I feel like he should really get a say in this. So kind of annoyed that she didn't listen to him. Well, we've also seen that when in in his birthday episode, he didn't want a surprise party and that was kind of shown across to all of his friends, but they still went ahead and did it anyway. So there's sometimes where Betty does let her own interest come before others' interest. So it's not uncharacteristic, but it's definitely not great. Yeah, this is like that on steroids. And very much like in the previous time that Betty did something, like for Jughead's birthday, she gets attacked for it. She ends up writing this article, even though her parents don't want her to. She posts it to the Blue and Gold website, and then someone tapes up a bunch of the the articles on her locker and writes in pig's blood on it, go to hell, serpent slut. And they have like a blonde voodoo doll hanging next to it later on. And so much like the, the episode with Jughead's birthday party, Jughead doesn't want her to do something. She does it anyway. She gets attacked for it and then he has to comfort her. Which, (laughs) like, I'm not saying is wrong because I do still think that she was right to be upset about this situation and want to get the truth out. But it's it's like she's using the Jones family kind of for her own benefit there. Yeah, she wants to push her motive of getting the town to acknowledge the truth and uses them. And she still even does it in her speech a little bit too. You know, she's kind of pushing her own agenda here and not really taking into consideration how it could affect other people, including herself, really. Yeah, yeah, because during Betty's speech at the Jubilee, she mentions how, you know, the South Side, Serpents, Jughead, FP, they're also Riverdale, and that Riverdale needs to stop lying about their issues and blaming other people. Riverdale must do better. The town must do better, is the gist of her speech. In addition to that, at the Jubilee, Archie's gonna sing. Earlier in the episode, Josie told Archie that his music writing is good, but that he can't sing the song of the Jubilee because the song's about his 
his friends, which is nice, but the Jubilee is about the whole town, which like totally makes sense. And I completely agree with her 100%. And then I was really annoyed when she, at the end of the episode is like, oh, you saved Cheryl. Okay, fine. Um, You can sing your song now. Why? The, your point earlier still stands. This song is not about the town. So dumb to see him in a cast playing the guitar. Like, I just hate the whole thing. <laughs> I also didn't even really see how the lyrics corresponded to his friends. Well, it's also like, what are, is there so like, is there supposed to be a song just about the town of Riverdale? Like, who cares? They were gonna sing, they were gonna sing Astronauts or something, which I don't know what that song is, but okay, here are the lyrics to Archie's song. We've done this a few times during this podcast, and just to round out, it wouldn't be the end of season one without another one of Archie's fantastic bits of poetry here. Now, there is a break in the middle of the song where we go and leave and show Cheryl burning down the house or something, but yeah, here is here are the lyrics to this song. I think it's the FP and Jughead talk. Oh, never mind. That made that might be. Okay. <clears throat> Every moment we're together is a moment I remember. My love, my heart, I want to share it with you. When it seems too hard to bear, I'll be here. I'll be there. I want to share it with you. I want to share it with you. No, so is he getting no, better? So because according, according to Josie, he's getting better. But see, I liked the I'll Try <laughs> song better. I may have even liked the song about uh, Grundy better than that. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty bad. Just like it's really bad. Rhyming together and remember, it's it's bad. And he's got three backup singers. Yeah, they, they don't have anything to do. And all of the them song. are more talented than him. There's also, no harmonies. This song, like, is it about his friends? Is it about the town? Kind of seems like it's like could go for the town. Like it's it's fine. probably about Grundy. Oh. Why is Veronica back with the Pussycats too? It's I don't like, know. How did man. she just just they just change everything up last minute and everything's fine? She's the HBIC now, so yeah, uh, it's also so okay. uncomfortable because it's like they just ignore the fact that Valerie and Ar- and Archie used to date because the Pussycats walk up when Archie and Veronica are making out, and it's just like this is weird. This should be an awkward moment, but they're not showing it because I guess they didn't really have a relationship. Well, and Val is way better than Archie anyway. Yeah, I just feel like she shouldn't have wanted to play <sighs> backup piano for him or whatever. Yeah, it's rough time, but it happens. So one more thing that happened earlier on the Betty topic is that she does confront Alice about, you know, the secrets in her family and that her dad's secret about the history of the Blossom family and the Cooper family nearly destroyed their family and tore them all apart. And she's like, what other secrets are you hiding? Because FP had said before the dance that you and Hal were fighting at your homecoming. And so what's the deal with that? And at first Alice gets kind of upset and is like, it's none of your business. And then like one scene later, she comes into Betty room and decides to tell her the truth. And the truth is that she, at that homecoming, had told Hal that she was pregnant, and that was the argument that FP had overheard, that they had disagreed what to do about the baby, and then the next day, she went to the sisters, and I don't know if she said four or five months later, something like that, her brother was born, and her brother was put up for adoption, and that's the biggest regret of her life. So, Betty discovers she has a secret brother out there. Um, a secret brother that Veronica refers to as, like, a golden 
an Adonis or something like that. Yeah, which is weird. She also says that right in front of Archie. So it's like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this information. This is definitely very interesting. And it also brings up a point we mentioned last episode, which was, do we think that FP overheard all of that or just overheard the arguing? Like, do we? Because he cut himself off and he said that he wasn't, you know, he said they were arguing about something. I'm not sure what. Do you think that he actually didn't know or do you think he did overhear that? I think we can assume that he does know because of the way that he stopped talking about it. I, But I don't think he, like, knew the specifics. I just think he knew it was, like, an especially vicious argument and maybe not, like, cute couple stuff. Maybe. It's it's interesting either way um, because, I mean, we can see from this season that FP is clearly good at holding secrets. So maybe he does know, maybe he doesn't. Either way, there's definitely some interesting history there and hopefully we'll get some more of it later. I think, I think the fact that they included this scene in the episode definitely makes it seem like we're gonna get some more about Betty's long lost brother in the next season. Yeah, it definitely makes it feel that way. So that's most of the end of the episode. We get one more little scene that wraps up the ending where Archie is waking up the next morning and he's leaving Veronica's house. So we don't really see the fallout between Betty and Jughead after the serpents came and gave him the, ja- the jacket, but apparently Archie slept over at Veronica's house. So dot, 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 hmm. He gets a text to meet his dad at Pops who wants to talk to him about something serious. Is like um what you would think would be serious would be the fact that Archie didn't come home last night but apparently it's a common enough occurrence that Fred just texts him and is like let's meet for breakfast yeah I guess I mean Archie does say like oh it's probably because I stayed out all night and when he gets there his dad does call him Casanova so maybe that's what they're talking about we don't we don't find out what it is because Archie says he has to go wash his hands and when he's in the bathroom he hears the door open and he hears uh I had the subtitles on so he hears someone saying uh, or pop saying there's no safe and then someone in response saying there's always a safe tell me where the safe is old man and he comes out and he sees a man in a hood a hood over a black hood over his head holding a gun like on pop's head grabbing him by the collar and then when archie comes out fred sort of stands up i I don't know why fred was just like sitting in his booth during all this but at that point fred stands up walks over towards the guy and the guy in the hood jumps off the counter points the gun at fred says give me your wallet and then archie runs out and we see we hear the gunfire and then the next scene we see the guy running out of pops and we see fred has been shot in the chest and laying on the ground. And that is the end of season one. Boom. <laughs> What's really <laughs> ominous is that Jughead, Jughead's voiceover here says that this is the exact moment where Riverdale's innocence died. And then we see Fred, you know, in critical condition after being shot. And it's really hard to know, um, you know, is Fred going to make it? And and it's a really upsetting thing to see. And it, and it definitely is a cliffhanger and a, something that would take people uh, and want them, make them want to go to season two. Yeah, I definitely think so. I I was really, really shocked when I watched this episode for the first time, seeing this happen. Didn't expect it. I was very curious to know what the conversation was that Archie and Fred were going to have. I think it's interesting that right then is when they say, yeah, Riverdale's innocence died. Almost like Fred was the innocent, like he was the good guy all throughout the season and he has been attacked. Another thing that was in the end Jughead voiceover was they said this was an attack that was anything but random, which is interesting that they say that given it does 
seem very random. It seems like a person in a hood came in, tried to rob something, asked for Fred's wallet, and then decides to just shoot him for no reason. So it seems very random. It seems very odd. Yeah, it's it's not the type of attack that you would expect to be like a targeted thing. Right, because it seems like he came in to rob a building and then turned around and shot someone, um, which doesn't really help him succeed in robbing the place. Uh, so yeah, definitely very interesting and closes out the season. So a few notes here. The title of this episode, The Sweet Hereafter, was based on a 1997 movie. And the description of that movie is, a small community is torn apart by a tragic accident which kills most of the town's children. A lawyer visits the victim's parents in order to profit from the tragedy by stirring up their anger and launching a class action suit against anyone they can blame. The community is paralyzed by its anger and cannot let it go. All but one young girl left in a wheelchair after the accident who finds the courage to lead the way toward healing. And I thought that was kind of interesting because clearly there has also been a tragic accident in this episode and the innocence has been killed as opposed to all of the town's children. But when they talk about one girl being left who tries to find the courage to lead the way towards healing, it's kind of Betty's role in this episode. So a little bit of parallel there. No close but no cigars in this episode. No new characters. No real comic connections. There is a moment where FP is reading a comic book in jail and I couldn't see the title completely. It looked like maybe Sorcerer or something, possibly, but it definitely looked like it was in the same style as, like, the old Archie comic. So it, my guess is it's probably, if, if someone can grab a screenshot of the, the whole front cover, it's probably a Archie comic-related comic in some way. Love that. Kind of interesting. Yeah, nice little tie-ins. Who do you think was the most normal person this week? I think this is a little bit of a tough one. Huh. Because I would love to give it to Val, but I don't really think we can. I, she was not there enough. I know. I don't like it can't be Veronica because of how weird she was about telling Betty I don't think it can be Betty can't be Jughead yeah is it FP for like admitting his guilt and you know like, accepting not the consequences snitching? of that yeah. yeah, that's possible. It's, it's tricky with this episode just because very few people are acting super normal. I'd almost say like Veronica does a pretty good job of acting normal. She dismisses her mom's request to seduce Archie. She helps Cheryl and is and is the only one who's kind of throughout the episode wondering about that. Just the way she like d- goes about the Betty conversation though is so weird. Yeah, you're right. The fact that she stands up. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and say that might have been the cringiest part of the episode where she stands up in the middle of the cafeteria to announce to Betty that her and Archie have kissed a few times. Yeah, it's a pretty solid. One that tops that I could absolutely cringe. co-sign that. Yeah, so most normal person. Like, is most normal, like, Hermione? No. no Hermione asks her daughter to seduce yeah, someone. Yeah, but that's that normal the... for her. We're not, look, we've discussed this. It's not <laughs> what's normal for them. It's what is normal as a person. Mm. Gosh, I mean, is it the, like, social worker who comes and tells jughead that he asked to live with someone who doesn't have a dui Gosh. why isn't it jughead it's weird uh, jughead i guess i mean it kind of is jughead he's he's mopey but he he goes along with what the social worker tells him to do he changes schools he's kind of okay with it i mean yeah he's he's mopey, he acts but he, pretty normal this he episode. doesn't yeah he doesn't want drama stirred up in the town by betty writing an article about his dad so i kind of think it might be yeah, jughead. It might might be juggy so just to recap since it's the end of the season 
so far this season. In episode one, we had Kevin Keller, who was the most normal person. Episode two was Reggie Mantle. Episode three, Penelope Blossom. Wow, that's a shocker back then. Don't remember how she was normal, but apparently she was. Episode four, Alice Cooper. Episode five, Trev, and an honorable mention to Jughead, but Jughead didn't quite get it. Episode six was Betty and Jughead together. Episode seven, Reggie again. Reggie's the Reggie. most normal in the whole show, okay? Apparently. Episode eight, Hermione got it. Whoa. Uh, she, wow, she's declined since then. Episode nine, Valerie, another very normal person throughout the whole series. Episode 10, Archie got it. Uh, I think that was for the party episode. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> episode 11, Kellen, Kevin Keller got it again. Episode 12, last episode, we had decided that the whole Cooper family apparently was pretty normal. Um, I think that had to do with the fact that they rescued Polly from the uh, incest den. And then this episode, Jughead Jones got it. So now, just real quickly, I want to go through a couple superlatives for the whole season. We did this with season three when we watched it live, and some of these may not be super applicable, but let's go through them. Who do we think was the most disconnected from reality this entire season? Veronica. Because the way she speaks, maybe, and her priorities. The stupid Met Gala. Yeah, it could be Veronica. I I think that, you know, it's, it's hard because I definitely think that Betty and Jughead were pretty connected to reality trying to figure out this murder. I mean, it's a little above and beyond what normal teenagers were doing, but at least they were concentrating on something important. It also could be Archie with his affair with the teacher and then just kind of not really doing anything until this episode. Yeah, I would say that like none of what Archie has done all season has been relevant. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. It might be might be Archie. All right. Did we have a nomination for best kiss? I think that Betty and Jughead's first kiss when he was at the window and they came into the room. Do you agree with that, Hannah? I felt like that was a Probably yeah, a it's a really cute moment. Like, just, like, the, because the whole moment comes together, yeah. and then she, like, interrupts it to ask something about the murder, and then he's <laughs> like, we're having our moment. Like, I feel like it was just, like, a great scene. That is a good scene. I believe that was episode six. It might have been episode five, but I think it was episode six. What was the most ridiculous subplot in this whole season? I vote for Grundy, Grundy uh, yeah. or potentially Archie goes to music classes. <laughs> Archie, try, Archie just trying to be a musician in general i just i think a very weird um plot line is the blossom family trying to accept archie as a jason replacement yeah that's that's a great one too because that covers kind of a lot of it because the music lessons go into that kind of yeah okay so trying trying to make archie blossom happen all right which character do we wish we saw more of throughout this season i know (laughs) kirsten's answer I'm sorry, I got I zoned out. Can we repeat the you question? Wish- <laughs> Which character do we wish we saw more of this season? And I said... <laughs> God, no. do you know my answer? Yeah. Because this is still old Reggie, so... It's not the same. Oh, so you don't think it's actually... Were you going to say Reggie, Hannah? Yeah, I was going to say Kirsten wanted to see, yeah. say Reggie. Mine would be Kevin, probably. Yeah, I or think Val. also going to be Kevin. Um, I could also go with some Joaquin. What about... Would have nice to have a little more quinoa up in here. What about uh, Trev? What? Uh, Trev. <laughs> Trev's a good one. <laughs> I think Kevin's a great answer. Yeah, I just think Kevin, like, for being Betty's quote-unquote best friend from the comics, he really doesn't get a whole lot in this season. And 
he just killed me with the uh, last episode with him telling the group that they needed tracking devices. So he's kind of always there to just, just channel the audience. All right. So that wraps up the superlatives that we have now. That's really all for this week's episode until we jump into some spoilers after this. If anyone has seen all the way through season three and wants to stick around, you can. If not, thank you for joining us and we'll be back next time for our recap of season two, episode one, jumping into that. And for all of you who haven't seen season two, it's a doozy. So let's let's get going. It's twice as long as season one. So got a ways to go. Until then, you can follow me online at Frail Mary on every platform and then you can follow the podcast at KowskiCast on Twitter, which we usually post all the episodes there too, if you would like to just find it that way. You can follow Kirsten at Kirsten Said What on every platform and you can follow Hannah at HannahV.exe on Instagram. That's Hannah with two N's and one H. We have to specify the number of N's. It's very important. Hannah. Yeah. You can also send us or write us a review on iTunes if you would like, and you are welcome to do that in any country, and we will look those up, or you can send them to us if you do not have the ability to write a review on iTunes, but you would still like to write into the show, feel free to message us on Twitter or to send a DM to the Kowski Cast Twitter account or to just tweet at us directly if you have any thoughts on the show and if you want to send us questions to be added, we will definitely talk about those. We just received a review last week from Sugar Bear. Sugar <laughs> spelled, Bear! It's spelled with an H on the end of sugar, so Sugar Bear, who says Riverdale? Question mark, question mark. I haven't watched a lick of Riverdale and I've never paid attention to Archie Comics. I'm just listening to this podcast because Mary and Kirsten are so entertaining and I can listen to them talk about anything and their commentary is freaking hilarious and actually well-researched. Aw, you think it's well-researched? research. I mean, yours is. Well, at least half this podcast is well-researched. I would say two-thirds because Hannah also does research (laughs) and at least takes notes on the episodes. But here's the thing. Would it be fun if I were also doing research? What what would that add to the dynamic? I don't know. More of you talking? I feel like I talk (laughs) too much already. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. So if if you want to be like Sugar Bear and have your name read for giving us a beautiful five-star review, feel free to do that. And if you don't want to leave a review but you would like to at least rate us five stars that would also be lovely yes please give us the maximum number of stars available we do not accept less (laughs) all right okay until next time All right, so I've got a couple spoilery related things to talk about here. Just a few, not too many, because we've done them along the way. But first off, at the beginning of the episode, when Veronica is still being kind of a, I don't know, a little bit weary of her father coming back into their lives, Hermione mentions that he's your father, Veronica, not the godfather. And uh, I just disagree with Hermione completely. I think that he is her father and the godfather. Yeah, and later on in season three, he will even deny that he is Veronica's father. He'll like disown her basically. So that's great. I can't, can't remember actually if he says that I don't have a daughter anymore or if she says I don't, I don't, you're not my father. One of the two. They might both I happen. think he says I don't have a daughter anymore. Yeah. So that's a little rough, but basically Veronica was right all along and should have kept her father out of her life. Uh, kind of annoying that she has this feeling and then kind of forgets it immediately once he comes back into town. Yeah, because daddy kins, you know? Oh, don't remind me. There's also 
just that idea that when the season changes, everything goes back to the way it was. Like, I always felt like at the end of High School Musicals, like, oh, you know, Sharpay's nice and everything's okay. And then we go back to the next one and, oh, look, she's a mean girl again. Oh, wow, this is so shocking. We're gonna Okay, think- also, I don't like... That's totally true, though. I don't like Sharpay being called a mean girl because she was actually a victim in the entire series and was not the, the bad guy anyway. We have definitely had this conversation multiple times on this podcast. Well, I just, I can't handle when Sharpay gets called like a mean girl or bad. She's just trying her best. Well, that's what no, she's portrayed as, though. Yeah, because Sharpay the is, heroes, is the quote unquote, are two people who have no experience or training <laughs> who are like, oh yeah, we could definitely do this. It's like if I suddenly tried to take over this podcast <laughs> and call, try and call Mary a bad guy for being well-researched and knowledgeable. Uh-huh. It's exactly like that. I am the Sharpay of this podcast, and <laughs> Hannah is the Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get some more hats. We're just bopping our way to the top over here. (laughs) Anyway, so I also think, okay, we really don't give Cheryl enough credit for how well she holds it together during season two. Because, like, season one is all about the Jason thing. And then season two, we take a big break from that and really don't mention a whole lot about that for a long time. And then season three, we bring back some of the, like, Cheryl-Jason death issues, I guess, there. But considering the fact that her father killed her twin brother who is like her best friend she holds it together pretty well throughout season two yeah she's uh pretty tough and she in season two is doesn't she also see the video uh, i don't know does I thought, she i thought there was some point where like she actually watches her dad pull the trigger yeah they they show the video to her in season three when she's in the farm and they're trying to like unbrainwash her but it doesn't really work uh. so i don't know if she sees it at all during season two it's kind of interesting that well i was gonna say it's kind of interesting that she doesn't see it in season one but that would probably be even more traumatizing. So probably good that she didn't. But yeah, I mean, there's a little bit at the beginning of season two that has to do with Jason and her dad when they're trying to get FP out of jail. But once FP gets out of jail, Cheryl really doesn't talk about this trauma as much. It's more about her and her mom. So there's that. This episode was the beginning of Archie's punchaholism. Yeah, uh, he started by punching ice. And when the series gets to present day, he is fully punching people. I thought he punched punched a punching bag earlier in season one. It's possible. It was like part this of this was some training. more intense punchaholism. Yeah. Well, and this is also, so there's a really small scene where he's talking to Fred about being annoyed that, you know, Betty's a target and Jughead's being mistreated. And so you can kind of see where he would want to take things into his own hands, like, you know, with the red circle and small things like that. Wow. Oh my gosh. Red circle. Not looking forward to that. So many circles. Yeah, I I think that Archie really didn't have a whole lot to do this season. Besides the singing stuff and the Grundy stuff and him having red hair, which was a plot line for the Blossoms. And it's so funny because it's just, (laughs) you would think that he did everything, right? Because that's just how people perceive it in Riverdale. Yeah, but he did nothing. Yeah, he punched the the ice. That's what he did. Yeah, there's that. We learn in season two that Betty's speech is what sparks the Black Hood's actions. And then we see the Black Hood and Pop's but it, I, it's so weird because it's it. what's depicted in Pops doesn't really seem like the Black Hood that is depicted throughout all of season two, right? Where we see him ha- having the gun in Pops' face. And it seems like there wasn't really clear idea of what the Black Hood, what his purpose was going to be as far as like purging the town of its sins. Well, I also feel like this was his first attempt, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, obviously, there's a lot of like details to iron out 
about and and move forward with. Yeah, okay, so about all of this, it really doesn't make any sense, this whole Black Hood scene. So, like, the speech, I will note, when they do the flashback of the speech at the end of season two, they show a close-up of Hal's expression when she's saying, we must do better, and I noted that that's not, that's, that's compiled together. They did not actually put that in during this season. I don't think they panned to him when she's saying that. The, he, you do see him at one point, because I was like, is Hal even here? Yeah, you do see him, but it's not timed in the way that well, we're yeah, going to see Well, yeah, I feel okay. like if it had been timed the way we see it later, that's, like, too much of a clue. I Yeah, I guess. I I guess. I, I don't know. I, I think my theory is that they had no clue who the Black Hood was when they filmed this. They didn't plan out what his deal was. I think they just wanted to make a cliffhanger to the end of season one, and then they were like, oh, we'll figure that out later if season two gets picked up. No reason to plan that. And I think the main support for that is the fact that they add in all of that dialogue about where's the safe and give me your wallet and stuff right. like that. Because Hal has no reason to come in. If he's just trying to purge the town of sins, he's not going to come in and he's trying to steal money. Like he doesn't have any use for that. And I think that so at this point in time, they were like, oh, we'll figure out later who this guy in this hood was and why he attacked Fred. Because it really seems like Fred was an afterthought. And when we see this scene later, it's all just about the confrontation uh, and the stare down between the Black Hood and Fred and then Archie freezing in some way. So it's you know, it, how it's depicted in season two is not at all how it's actually depicted in season one. Like, the, yeah, it's the very, whole idea it's around different. it. It's very different. It's very pieced together. So I, I definitely think that this scene serves two completely different purposes. And this season, it, it serves to make a build up for season two. And later on, it serves as like the whole driving force of, you know, Archie's plot line and Betty's plot line, etc. So that's definitely, definitely something that they add later. I also really love when Jughead goes to Southside High, like you mentioned, before it's not the serpents and in my mind it was the serpents that came over and hung out with him but they, he's not part of that yet so I love the like fake friends we see there that we never see again because this is before the show has cast Tony and Fangs and Sweet Pea. I didn't realize there <laughs> were people on the south side that weren't serpents. Yeah the show will make you forget that so guess we'll guess we'll see them again. Just a few things I just wanted to go through like what are some things that after watching season one you miss that are not in the rest of the show really? I will say I miss this Alice. She's a little bit in season two, but really love fiery Alice from season one. I feel like at the end of season one, when she's giving that speech to Betty and opening up about her story about being pregnant, like I want to know more about this Alice, this version of her. And we just don't get that for so long. Another good one is like after this, every single thing with Polly is like so insane. I like seeing scenes of her being like kind of a normal teenager, like in this episode where she's like, oh, I miss going to school. And they're like, come back, which means she should be a senior this year. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting that she just kind of pieces out at the beginning of season two. And we'll get to that more later. I don't think I don't think she's going to be going to school for the first couple episodes of season two, but we'll see um, when we get to that. Another one that I miss is just how central pretty much this whole season was to one particular plot line. These 13 episodes felt plenty long enough to get this whole story across. Not really sure why they decided that they needed to go to the 22 episode season or 23 potentially. I don't remember. It's a little long for season two. Yeah, they decided to go into much more complicated plots. And then everyone's disconnected, right? I mean, so we have some disconnection here, but everyone is together and it makes you know that they actually are friends, right? But then they start 
start getting completely separate plot lines, aren't really communicating with each other, and it, that's something that that is kind of missing in the next season. I really miss them going to school. Yes, <laughs> going to school. And I miss the fact that, I mean, you don't get a ton of it because the season's short, but like Betty and Veronica are supposed to be best friends. And we get some of that in this season, even just like the scene where they're talking about, you know, Archie in this episode. At least they're hanging out together. And once Veronica and Archie start dating, and especially once Hiram comes and there's that whole plot line there, like Veronica and Betty are barely ever friends and they barely ever do anything together or talk. Yeah. So I kind of miss that. Kind of sad we didn't get a whole lot of that. Kind of miss Jughead before he was completely inundated in just serpent stuff 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and something you've mentioned in the season three is (laughs) that you miss when the serpents weren't just kids. Yeah. They're adult serpents in this season and they're like this big gang and there's a lot of guys, you know, working for Fred and there's people at the bar and it's definitely just a very different vibe for season two. Like the only kid serpent we really knew this season was Joaquin and he even sort of looked older than some of the other kids. So a lot to miss from season one. All in all, I thought it was a good introduction to Riverdale. I think we said it at the beginning. It was a show that knew that it was cheesy and knew that it was ridiculous, but had a pretty cool vibe to it. And I think the the costuming and the coloring and the even just some of the shots, like there was a shot in this episode where they're sitting at the table in the cafeteria and they're all sort of talking and the camera's panning around in a circle behind each other's backs, focusing through the cracks of the people on who's talking. Yeah, it really builds the tension. Yeah, stuff like that you don't get in some other shows that are on right now. So you can tell that it's very stylized, which I think is fun. And and by season two and three, you lose a little bit of that in favor of just how ridiculous the plots are. Yeah, I think the, the plots just go too crazy a little bit. All right. Well, that wraps up season one. If you guys don't have anything else to add and we will be back hopefully soon for season two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See ya on the flip side. Okay, bye. Name another type of geese.